welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. My name is Chris Kimston, in case we haven't met. I'm really excited to get to uh, continue the teaching series that we started just this last week. If you are new or didn't get a chance to hear it or anything, if you'd like to get caught up, uh, we don't plug our website enough, maybe. It's awakencommunity.com. Awakencommunity.com, no no funny business of slashes or under slashes or whatever you call those. Um, Just awakencommunity.com. You can find the podcast um, in the tab there. Uh, Also, you can find it wherever you really find uh, podcasts on iTunes or anywhere else. We are the account that has the tree on it, so easily recognizable there. But I will catch you up just in case you are not caught up then. Uh, We're doing the story of Joseph. It's the Old Testament Joseph, not the New Testament Joseph. There are two of them, so sometimes it's kind of confusing. It's not Mary's husband that was like the dad of Jesus. That's not the one we're going for. It's way at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. It's uh, the Joseph there, the one that the musical's Technicolor Dreamcoat, if you've heard that. The coat plays much less uh, of an important part in the scripture, but it's whimsical, so it's in the musical. Um, But that's the one that we're talking about. Uh, The story that we have with Joseph, we covered his kid years back uh, last week. Joseph was the youngest of, or was one of the youngest of 12 kids, which is uh, 12 boys. Anybody who grew up with a lot of kids knows, uh, lots of brothers and sisters, knows that that's not necessarily the super ideal situation, but that's actually not one of his problems. Uh, He, his first problem was that his father favored him over all of the other kids, which is not a great deal in and of itself. And if you are the youngest, or one of the youngest, and they, that happens to you, it, doesn't, it creates a little bit of friction between you and your siblings. Especially because in, the ancient, in this, this ancient context, the glory and favor and honor for the kid is supposed to go to the oldest boy. And so if you were to make a list of who is supposed to get this dignity, uh, Joseph would be one of the last ones to get it. Almost everyone is in front of him in line. And yet, here he was. So you can understand why that might not play very well in that household. And his second problem was that he, for lack of a better way to, to express it, didn't really know how to shut his mouth. <laughs> he, he, who was uh, maybe not the favorite of all of his siblings, had this uh, tendency to have these dreams about where all of his siblings were bowing down to him. And so naturally the thing you do, you know, if you are uh, the kid who your brothers and sisters kind of pick on, you go up to them and say, hey, I had a dream that you're going to worship me. If we could only talk to him, be like, man, not a good idea. And he does it multiple times. Hey guys, I had a dream. And you're like, oh, don't do it. But So those were really his two problems, and so finally what happens is uh, his brothers are out working uh, on a a project, they work for their father, they're out doing their thing, and the father sends, uh, Jacob sends Joseph out to check on his brothers, he goes out and uh, they see him coming and they think, I have had it up to here with this kid, let's let's take care of him, and one of his brothers is like, whoa, 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 can't do that, Like, like, like please, just don't kill him, and so they eventually, they decide to sell him into slavery, uh, which is where it left off this last week. And we'll, we'll jump in there with our scripture for this week. Um, I did want to throw out my first of two disclaimers. 
what, we're going to read it and it's going to make sense. I understand that it's everybody's Sunday and actually there, there aren't as many kids in this one. Uh, if you are a parent, you're going to hear what we read and you're going to get maybe a little bit nervous and think, does he know it's everybody's Sunday? I just want you to know that I understand and I want to quell any anxieties. We're not going there. That'll make sense in a second. Just hear me and understand that. Uh, if you're new, we do stand when we read the scripture. So um, I invite you to stand and flip, scroll, or just look Uh, to the screen up here, Genesis 39, verses 1 through 10. Genesis 39, verses 1 through 10. I'll read it for you up here. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, and with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear this story, to to explore it maybe in a different way, God. I pray that maybe old, tired things might become new, that we might hear things in different ways that speak to where we are in our lives. God, we thank you for our kids. We thank you for our family and our friends in this community all here together today. I pray that your spirit would be with us, God, and speak to us in this place and in this space, and it's in the strong name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you will. That's where we land today with the story, but first before that, I actually would like to start with a different story. So story time, everybody likes that. Once there was a man who was born into a pretty ideal circumstance. He grew up supported and had a good relationship with his God. He was eventually married, had a wife, and they lived with purpose. They had everything they needed But as is often the case in life, there are some things you can't have, and for them, it was really just this one thing. At some point, the idea was planted that they weren't complete until they had this one thing they didn't already have. All of a sudden, all the things that they had, essentially everything they needed, all paled in comparison to this one thing. One day, they had the opportunity to get it, and they took it, and they risked and eventually lost everything in their pursuit of what they were without. The story sounds familiar because I think we've all been there. 
And perhaps we've even paid the consequence for it. But it's a tale as old as time, um, not Beauty and the Beast. Uh, this is actually how the Bible starts, if you don't get the game I'm, I'm playing. That's the story of Adam and Eve. I think that if you grew up with the story of Adam and Eve and you're like familiar with it, you, some of the eccentricities and like super weird things about the story of, of Adam and Eve kind of get lost on you sometimes. Uh, but if you read it for the first time in a long time or maybe you're new to this whole thing of faith, you look at it and it's, uh, there are some things that jump out at you. I will list some of them for you. There's a man made out of dust. A woman is made out of his rib. How that, ha whatever. Um, there's a magic tree with magic fruit that grants magic knowledge that they're not supposed to have for some really kind of undefined reason. And the thing that bothers me the most, there's a snake that talks that no one is concerned why the snake is talking. <laughs> and this actually gives you a little bit glimpse into my mind, but the snake is banished to crawl on its belly as like a consequence of what he does, but that's how snakes move. So how did the snake get around before like, did he have legs? Was it just a lizard? What does, is, does makes a lizard not a snake? I digress, but weird things about the story, right? But when you boil it down, what this story is really about is living with this sense of emptiness. Because there seems to be this idea um, that this issue with, like, the need to consume more and more and uh, is this new thing. A lot of people say folks these days, kids these days, this new generation, they always have the need to consume more and more. They always need the new model. You know, back in the day, that's not the way it was, but I think it's really interesting that the story that is chosen to tell how we as people got from how God created us to the broken state that we often find ourselves in, the story how we got from whole to broken, and the story that starts off this entire thing is about the seemingly inescapable need to have what we don't already have. Now, if you're, this is my second disclaimer for the day. Uh, if you're anything like me when you listen to a teaching or a sermon, you like try to predict where somebody's going. And you, right now, a bunch of you are thinking, Chris, I see you. Consumerism is bad. We all have what we need. Everything is good. That's great. But, and I, I d implore you to hold on just a little bit longer and this disclaimer is actually for somebody who takes it a step farther who says, I see you straight, white, Christian, American male. <clears throat> I know that you have everything that you need, but you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what I have. And I want to say that that's fair, and I want to say that I recognize that. And I want to say that I recognize that there are people in this community, in this country, and in this world who don't have their basic needs met. Because it's easy for me to stand up here in all of my privileges, I named just a few of them, I'm sure there are more, and tell everyone that they have what they need and they should just be grateful, but I want you all to know, wherever you come from this morning, that's not the conversation we're having. What we're talking about is this universal human propensity to want what we don't have. This is something that transcends kind of Western thinking, Western consumerism. I'm talking about ancient Eastern uh, tribes fighting for land that they don't need. I'm talking about old a African tribes stealing each other's women. I'm talking about ritualistic native South American tribes sacrificing children to get more crop yield. This is about receiving a blessing into your hands, then quickly looking around for more. This is about from living from a place of scarcity 
instead of a place of fullness. And I wonder what that looks like for you. I wonder how that hits you this morning. Maybe you don't struggle with consumerism stuff. You're like, Chris, I'm good. I don't like shopping. I don't do the online shopping or the in-person shopping. I actually hate Black Friday, so I think I'm, I'm covered. But what about life stuff? What if I only had his paycheck? What if I only had her job? If I only had her position? What if people looked at me the way they looked at that person? What if I just had their marriage or if I had their relationship? When I put it that way, it seems a lot bigger, doesn't it? We all have that thing, whether we know it consciously or not. What's the thing that makes you feel like then you'll be content? What's that place or status or comparison you're trying to get or win and then and only then you will be full? Because at this point in our story with Joseph, this is, this is what we encounter. Beside Joseph, we encounter a woman who honestly isn't even given a name. Did you notice that? She's just someone's wife in the story. And what she does, at least in the attitude she displays, listen, there are churches that will, will preach this, and they will smear this woman all different ways and call her a lot of things. But I would like to, to present to you the, the uh, opportunity to see this morning that at least in her attitude, we can see ourselves in her. Because she sees Joseph, who honestly, things are going well for him, but he's a slave still. And she sees the slave and she says, you and I should take what we can get. And without going into it on everybody Sunday, she sees something that she wants and she doesn't feel complete until she gets it. This woman is married to one of the most powerful men in their world. And yet, she sees, she bothers him again and again because she's living from this place of scarcity a place of not enough, a place of I am empty despite all the things around her. So you might be saying to yourself, all right, Chris, I'm with you. What's, what's the alternative? Because sometimes it seems a little bit too big to escape. Sometimes it's just natural. I just want things. So, so what's the alternative? We've chosen different words for every one of the teachings this, uh, during this series, Micah started out with uh, Yosef. The language that you're seeing, by the way, um, I'm just letting you know because there's no reason why you should know this, is um, it's in Hebrew. It's actually the original language that this story was written in. Um, and Yosef, which is the name of Joseph, it's uh, it, through transliteration and things over cultures and time, became known as Joseph. It actually means he will add. He will add. And this week is a word that we have. Uh, it's called mellow. M-E-L-O is how it's transliterated. Um, the Hebrew letters are mem, lamed, aleph. You actually read it from right to left. Mellow, it means full, fullness, or to fill. And one of the fascinating things about this word is it's used in a ton of different ways. Uh, it can be a multiplier of sorts. It's when it's used to modify words like nations in a word that you, a phrase that you might know uh, from the Bible is a multitude of nations. He's telling, that's the word mellow. God is telling Abraham, I will make to you a multitude of nations. And if you've heard that, you're like, I don't really know what that means. What it translates to more literally is 
there's a man who is afraid he will never be able to make a family, and God says, I am literally going to make the land full of your kids. He takes somebody who doesn't think he's ever going to be able to, to keep that family going, and he says, no, this land is going to be full of your family. I think that maybe <laughs> translates a little bit better and makes a little bit more meaning for anybody who's ever been in that situation. My favorite translation of this word actually is one that best, uh, perhaps best applies to what we're talking about today. It's in Deuteronomy 33:16. It's part of a beautiful poem. I don't know if you like poems. I love poems. But I will read it to you now. Blessed by the Lord be his hand and his land. With the choice gifts of heaven above and of the deep that lies beneath, with the choice fruits of the sun and the rich yield of the months, with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, with the choicest gifts of the earth and its fullness, with the choicest gifts of the earth and its fullness. This poem is describing the goodness of the world. God, the word in Hebrew is tov, and it's the word that God uses when he creates something and he looks at it and he says it's good. That's what this is, this is talking about, the fullness of the land, the goodness, the full goodness and the full potential of what is there. It is full of God's good, his tov. Ironically, um, who writes that poem later is Joseph. Micah talked last week about this change that took place in him because he went to trying to fulfill his name. He knew that his name meant to add and uh, he wanted to go, and he kept trying to add himself to the situation to make things better. Wanted to tell his brothers his dream. He's going he's gonna to make things better, and we're, we're continuing with that line of thought because he wanted to Yosef himself, to add himself, to make things mellow, to make things full. But it's here in this part of the story that we realize that something has changed in him. Because if we look at what he says to her when he turns her down, he says to her, basically, I have everything. I just can't have this one thing, his master's wife. He realizes what he has. This has everything to do with the story of Adam and Eve that we were talking about earlier. Genesis opens up with a story about a person who was born with everything, with Adam. He was born with everything but says he, has no, says he has nothing until he gets that one thing. Joseph's story is about a man, a slave, who in comparison to Adam has nothing, but turns down that one thing he can't have because he says he's been given everything. In this, literally, uh, Joseph is serving as a second Adam. Joseph goes from trying to fill everything himself to realizing the fullness of what God has already put there. He's gone from trying to fill everything with himself, trying to make things full by himself, to realizing that God has already done that and realizing the fullness and goodness of what God has already put there. So the invitation today is to look and to see what you're holding. There may be plenty of things that we don't have, but there's always something that you're given. Maybe it's a gift that you have, something you do well. Maybe it's a passion in life. 
no matter how small, maybe it's a job that you have, maybe you are employed in a place where so many others are not. Maybe it's a homeland, a place willing to accept you. Maybe it's health, maybe it's a loved one, maybe it's a friend, a support system, a community. What have you been given to hold out in front of you? I'll invite the band back up for, uh, to close. I have one final story. I had a classmate uh, who, her entire life that I knew her, uh, kindergarten through high school, um, people were always uh, talking about her. She was always working and striving towards this one goal, and everybody cheered her on, rightly so. Uh, I remember I, the first time I heard it was in second grade. They said, Sean's going to go to the Olympics. It's going to happen. I guarantee it. And it, just this whole narrative, our whole life growing up together, it was Sean is going to do it. And she did. Sean Johnson went to, that I grew up with, she was an Olympic gymnast, for, for those of you who follow gymnastics. Um, I, I certainly do uh, love it. And there's, it was, to see a classmate, um, a 16-year-old, we were, we were both 16, I was an incredibly awkward choir kid in a very large school that really valued its athletes, um, rightfully so, but that was not me. I was not the cool kid. And I sat there and I watched, the, you know the world kind of stops when the Olympics are on? Everybody was sitting and stopped and watching, and I love the Olympics too. We were all sitting and watching as a classmate of mine, somebody I'd known my entire life, was standing there getting a gold medal for balance beam. A gold medal. And I remember thinking to myself in my awkwardness and just, man, it was bad. Um, <laughs> not too many uh, pictures exist from that time in my life, but I remember sitting there thinking to myself, man, if only I could have that. Even as a 25-year-old, it seems like a pretty good deal. If only I was like, I thought to myself, that has to be like the pinnacle of what it means to be alive. And the thing is that I think it's always telling when someone who catches that one thing they're chasing tells you it's not enough. Shauna will be the first one to tell you that the time after that was actually a really rough time for her. She loved being in the Olympics. She had fulfilled this thing. Basically, everyone in her life had told her that she was going to do. Uh, she had an injury afterwards, so the big question was, was she going to be able to come back? She uh, won Dancing with the Stars, but there was a big criticism, you know, should she have done that? Was there this whole other thing? Is she a celebrity or is she an athlete? You know, what good is it? There were a lot of really mean things said about people on the Internet. I didn't know if you knew this. But Sean realized, and she'll be the first to tell you she's written books about this, has done a lot of speaking about it recently. She realized the thing that she was holding wasn't this gold medal that she had chased her entire life. It wasn't this, even really this experience of being in the Olympics. She realized that the thing that she was holding in her hands were her teammates, were her supportive family, were her the support system and the love that so many people had shown her across this entire way that was still there even when the rest of the internet and the rest of the world had said maybe that she wasn't worth it anymore. She realized that the thing that she was holding, she had been holding the entire time. She said, I almost missed it. So the invitation for us today is to not miss it.
The invitation today is, uh, whether we know it or not, and we're looking out in the future, we're saying to ourselves, you know, maybe, maybe then, I know that you know, I need to work on some things, but once I get to this point, maybe things will be better, but don't miss what we're holding out in front of you. Don't miss what you've been holding all along. We have a time of silence uh, after every teaching, and we do that just to, maybe you can hear God's voice. We realize that it, it happens different ways for a lot of different people, but so we invite you to that time. Um, maybe it's just a time to contemplate, maybe about what, what's been said today. Maybe it's just a quiet pause, a singular quiet moment in your week. We offer that as a gift to you as well. During the uh, response song, we have these canvases that have all of the words on them. Uh, we have this, la- this week's um, on an easel back there, and we have Sharpies. And I would just invite you, um, if you feel compelled to do so, write, write or express yourself on that as you see fit. Whether it's a sentence, a thought, a blurb, even you know, just a word. Uh, if you're called to respond that way, uh, I invite you to do so, either, either uh, a- during the song in the response or even afterwards. Maybe some questions to guide your, guide your contemplation in the silences. In what ways are you living from a place of scarcity, even if you don't know it? And where in my life can I live from a place of fullness? Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for an opportunity to hear you. We thank you for this opportunity to pause in the quiet, God. I pray in that quiet that we would hear you speak. Receive this blessing as we go out today. May you, friends, know that you're loved. May you know the blessings that you hold in your hands. And may you see the people with whom you can use those to bless. We thank God for our kids. And may we as a community know that they are something that we hold out in front of us. May we hold the grace and the peace of God. And grace and peace be with you all. Thanks, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.